0: Today's show is brought to you by Airtable, the all in one collaboration platform. Modern creative teams are pulled in a thousand directions. Maintaining a functional project plan is hard. Wrangling designers and writers, copy edits and clients, all on deadline, can get messy fast. Most collaboration tools aren't made for creatives and creative projects, but Airtable is. Airtable makes it easy to organize stuff, people, ideas, anything you can imagine. That's why leading creative teams at places like Experience Design Agency Huge, Product Development Agency Planetary, and retail brand United Colors of Benetton use Airtable. It's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everything on schedule. And let creative people be creative. Visit Airtable.com Glossy today to get $50 in free credits. And welcome to the Glossy Podcast, our weekly show where we discuss fashion, luxury, and technology with the people making change happen. I'm your host and Glossy Managing Editor Hillary Milneys, and joining me today is Blue Mercury founder Marla Beck. Thanks for coming in, Marla. Thanks for having me. So you started Blue Mercury about 20 years ago, and it was kind of like an alternate uh, retail beauty experience uh, for the department store person who didn't, you know, didn't really want to shop beauty in the department store. Now you're at Macy's can you
1: talk about that time in between? Sure. So when we started in 99, you could only buy cosmetics at department stores or drugstores, stores mm. and everything was behind glass counters. It was a totally different experience. Uh, it was, I was in my twenties. I hated going up to the glass counters and like peeking in and having to ask someone and they would reach over to you. If, if they were helping you with makeup, they would reach over and help you. And so I, I just thought there had to be a better way to shop for beauty. So we started with one location in Georgetown. Uh, we had spa services at that very first location and uh, everything was open cell where the clients could touch everything and our staff were trained in all brands and clients would walk in and scream because they had never been able to actually touch beauty brands, but ask questions like, do you have the perfect eye cream for mm-hmm. me? Before you had to go counter by counter and say, okay, I need my Clinique uh, mascara. I need my Lancome toner. And so it, it was really sort of a, a completely new model at that point. Uh, you know, things have changed a lot in the almost 20 years since I've been in the industry. But the one thing that hasn't changed is uh, women mainly uh, wanting the best beauty products for them and wanting great advice. Uh, we've grown. So prior to the Macy's acquisition, When they bought us, we had 60 locations. Now we have 170. So that's been one great thing is just having the power to scale the organization. And then we've also put Shop and Shops within Macy's, Mm -hmm. uh, which um, has been great for their customers to experience the multi-branded open cell. And we've spas at our locations. So Mm -hmm. having those services available uh, has also been phenomenal.
0: Great. So has it always been mostly an offline Retail experience. Are you focused on on that store strategy? I know you've you have. There's more stores planned just for the next two years. There's a lot of stores opening um, or shop and shops as well. So how do you balance that? Like. Offline, online. Experience.
1: So I'll actually tell you, we started as an e-commerce company in 1999, only beauty e-commerce um, wow. in the first dot com boom. Uh, so we were too early, though. Everybody mm-hmm. was on dial-up, and so I don't know if you've ever seen that old movie, You've Got Mail, but used to dial up and then wait and wait oh, yeah. and wait <laughs> to get online. And so uh, no one was shopping online at that point, and that's how we realized the innovation was really the stores and changing the retail model. Now we kept that e-commerce site going, of course, for all of these years and it's a tremendous business for us Uh, and our clients do shop online and in store uh, one thing we did many years ago was add chat online. So to add that in-store experience to our site, so you can actually chat, uh, you've always been able to chat with an expert by category. So if you have a hair care advice, like you're having a bad hair day and you, it's frizzy because it's humid in New York city and you want advice, you can actually chat and have someone help you find the perfect products. So, um, that e-commerce piece has always been a big piece of our business. And working to bring that experience that content experience to our site has been critical we find our clients shop both ways um, uh, you know they they get a lot of information and you know they still come into stores with email on their mobile and say I saw this new product you know can I try it because in beauty it's so, so tactile um, that you want to touch and feel products and the nice thing about beauty is there's so much innovation and so uh, 50% of the products we sell are brand new products that haven't been on the market before and mm-hmm. so there's always that excitement and energy around new product. And there are two pieces of the beauty shopping process, right? How do you get your information? And then how do you purchase? And so information is coming from everywhere. And so our clients are really researching online and going in store. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that differentiates us is one is our store locations. We have locations near where everybody works and lives. So we're not in malls. We're not a a far drive away. Um, We're we're on the corner. And so our clients really use us as a substitute drugstore they'll come in. I'm out of mascara, you know, and and run in. I was just talking to our store manager at Grand Central Station. She's like, my God, I see our best clients four times a week. Uh, (laughs) So it's almost, uh, you know, it's just, we become a a home for beauty for people and try, you know, marrying that with technology is fun um, uh, because there's so much information that comes from online.
0: Mm -hmm. And so when you were talking, working with brands from the beginning and how did you sort of pitch this new type of retail experience for beauty to them when it wasn't like okay you'll have your specific salespeople they'll know everything about the brand and that's all they'll know like now it's like okay well you're going to be in this multi-brand experience and the sales people are going to be helping the customer find whatever's best for them across brands what was that conversation like I mean I'm sure now they're are so used to it it's it's how we shop but at the beginning
1: yeah I mean I, I think it was a unique time because in the late 90s when we started it was really the first generation of founder brands so Bobby Brown was a new founder Francois Nars um, was a new founder of a brand and so we went to the founders first and said this is what we're doing and they got it right away it took us many more years to get sort of the big traditional brands uh, because they were so used to their model and change is hard for anyone and so we went with the people that were completely open because they were radical entrepreneurs on their own. Yeah. And and that's one unique piece about beauty. There are new beauty entrepreneurs creating brands every day. And that's a really fun piece of what we do. I mean, even today, so we just launched Dr. Barbara Sturm, her line, mm-hmm. you know, the super Goop line and Holly, who's creating every product. It's a founder based industry. And so you, you can always find founders that are willing to try and create new things. I mean, we worked with Marcia Kilgore when she had first started Bliss. Mm-hmm. And now she's Onto Beauty doing great things, and right. so, so it's it's these founders that are willing to disrupt the industry, that are also always willing to disrupt retail, and so they were so open to what we were doing. It w- wasn't a challenge. It was the big brands, but once everybody else came along, the big brands wanted to be part yeah, of it. Of course, on to, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So you said about fifty percent of products are new product innovation that hadn't been on the market
1: before. What do you mean by that? What type of products? L- literally, there's there are new items launched every single day. Right in in beauty, and so fifty percent of the products that are sold in our store uh, are brand new, launched within the past couple months, Mm -hmm. and so it's just a huge um, market for innovation. Always, so clients come in, they want to discover what's new. Uh, You know, there's the the innovation is crazy in the industry Um, you know we just launched a huge line of supplements we launched five different lines of supplements Um, and this is a category that uh, people have been dabbling in In the full 20 years we've been in business we've always had hair and skin supplements and you know there were some weight loss supplements that we carried probably seven years ago but it never really grabbed hold but I think with the trend in naturals and uh, in that category that there are a lot more brands and a lot more willingness to uh, experiment with brands outside of typical topicals. So we're mm-hmm. carrying like gummies, we're carrying um, you know, powders all in the supplement category for mm-hmm. sleep, for glowing skin, for collagen building. And so it's a fun new category. So there's always innovation and beauty. And right now people are completely open to to lifestyle innovation and beauty.
0: Right. Yeah. How do you vet
1: new products mm-hmm. like
0: that? Cause I'm sure you like you said, information is half of the beauty purchasing experience. And so you have to be able to confidently sell it to the customer like this works and why so especially for something that you know it's you can't see the results on your skin in the same way that you can a topical product when it you know we're we're navigating this new wellness as skincare era and how do you make sure that you're curating the right product selection for the that makes sense for the customer
1: so I'll I'll give you an example so with the supplements uh, strategy it took us a year to figure out what we wanted to do uh, because we analyzed all the products in the market we determined sort of what the differentiating points were between the brands and then our team tried every single product we won't launch a product without trying it Mm -hmm. Um, and so it was really a long process in vetting products figuring out what worked and it's a combination right Does the product work? Is it a great experience to use the product itself? itself? Does the packaging work? What about their innovation strategy for the long term? You know, is this a brand that's going to keep coming up with new ideas? That's important to us. Is it a founder-based brand? We love founder-based brands. And so that's how we really chose uh, some of the brands. And if you were in our office, the UPS truck basically backs up to our office every day with (laughs) 20 to 40 boxes of new brands that want to be in our stores. And so we have a huge team looking through. Everybody gets a look, right? Mm-hmm. And then going through and trying to figure out what what the right brand is for our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such an a creative industry, and there's more and more development every day. And in a good economy, there's a ton of development. So we're excited about the the number of brands coming out.
0: Yeah. Do you see this continuing as a trend? Do you think it's like a a flash in the pan, almost? Like right now, it's really trendy. But how do you how do you see that evolving, especially as we're looking at like the subsets of skincare versus cosmetics. Like, are you also looking at, you mentioned you want to make sure that the brands you're pulling in have more product innovation and developments uh, planned down the line. So how do you, but how do you look at it from a category perspective for the store?
1: I mean, so our our main categories are always skin, hair, um, makeup, Mm -hmm. Uh, those are the three cores. We do fragrance, we do home fragrance. And so we're always looking To see what we're missing and so um, we added supplements we added a huge naturals um strategy recently Uh, but you know we're still interested in someone solving the the spf problem nobody really likes putting on spf and there are a million new brands all the time great great products and so we do a gap analysis that's one piece um the other piece is um I think it's easier to launch a brand than it's ever been because of the media availability and the digital availability. You can, you know, make a product, put up a site, and get the word out about your product. When we first started in the industry, um, you know, 20 years ago, even 10 years ago, it wasn't so easy to get the word out about your products. Mm-hmm. And so I think that creates a unique opportunity for entrepreneurs to go direct to their consumers all, all the time. Right. Um, you know, I think we're going to continue to see founders in Asia and other countries, um, and we're seeing increase in direct brands coming to us from korea from japan from china and that they used to go through distributors or Mm -hmm. um, we used to get information that way and so i I think the international brands are going to continue to come in direct because they can now they can build their marketplace uh through their own uh channels and then come direct to us Mm -hmm. and and so i think it's going to continue because of the technology it's easy to get the word out about your brand
0: and how does that direct to consumer push change the role of the retailer in that in that space?
1: Yeah, I, I think um You know, the direct to consumer push is really a substitute for old media in some ways. Mm -hmm. So, um, the purchasing process uh, before was very linear. You got information from TV or uh, from a magazine, you came into store with that information, and you tried the product. Now, it's like information is coming from everywhere from Instagram, from your friends, uh, from all different media types, podcasts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, From from everywhere. And so, the direct Direct-to-consumer, to some extent, is a new media play, uh, but it's also a purchasing play. Uh, What that means is the brands are much more connected to the consumer. So what does that mean for retail? Well, first of all, it's easier for us to train, you know, we have 2,000 beauty experts across the country. They know everything because of the media, Mm -hmm. right? And so it helps them explain the brand stories. Two is, at the end of the day, um, you want to try products, right? You want to touch them. You want to feel them. Uh, Your skin tone is different from my skin tone tone. Uh, what looks good with your gorgeous eyes looks, you know, completely different with someone else's eyes. Mm-hmm. And so that experience of wanting to f- try colors, but also learn application, it's not so easy to figure out how to apply makeup. You can watch the YouTube videos, but no one looks exactly like you. Right. And so that personal expertise makes it different. Mm-hmm. And when you talk to the blue mercury experts in the store, I'm always completely impressed by how much they know. I mm-hmm. mean, every season I still go in and I say, okay, it's summertime. I need a new lip color. And they can choose one in an instant for you. Nobody's figured out that exact technology to choose the perfect lip color for you. You can try on a million using technology, mm-hmm. but that person that can choose that perfect one for you in a combination with something else, it's its really hard to replicate that technology. I mean, uh, everybody's trying. It's sort of a dream to get there, but right. it's, it's not there yet. Right.
0: And, and so as a retailer, you're, you're kind of there for the information, the expertise, the how to's for that customer
1: relationship, you would say? Also, also the experience you know mm-hmm. um, shopping is still fun mm-hmm. right for some people right yeah. you want you want to go out there you want to be in store you want the energy of the music uh, you may want a service right you may want a brow styling uh, you may want to wax and so uh, you can't do those things online yet uh, so um, you know I, I think people shop for convenience and experience mm-hmm. uh, e-commerce is really great for convenience experience is great too, but you can't, you still don't have that tactile experience yet. Mm, Right. And, and so, you mentioned a lot
0: of emphasis on like the founder led brand and this direct to consumer brand. Do you look when you're, when you're vetting new brands for that, uh, those like direct to consumer sales already? Like, should should a new brand have that built up? Um, like, how has that, like, ch- that barrier entry for like a wholesale retail partnership changed when you're working with new brands? We,
1: we don't need the direct to consumer sales yet. What we do like is to see the story, right? Why this brand? What is your point of view? What's the reason for being? How are you different? Uh, you know, I was just looking, I was judging a competition uh, in food consumer brands, and there were about 50 different bar brands right you know the protein bars everybody loves them everybody uses them but do we need really need 50 new ones Mm -hmm. so really looking for that point of difference why why is something different is there a different ingredient is there something they discovered uh you know is there um you know a a unique point of view that this person has because of their background and so uh, uniqueness is really really critical um to to what's going on in beauty I wanted to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor,
0: Airtable, the all-in-one collaboration platform. The creative world is constantly evolving and to keep up, you need a tool that's flexible enough to adapt to your process, but powerful enough to keep everybody on the same page. Airtable is modern software. Its fields can handle any content you throw at them, add attachments, long text notes, check boxes, links to records and other tables, even barcodes, whatever you need to stay organized. That's why the team at WeWork needed a tool to manage their entire creative process from ideation to content creation. They turned to Airtable. Airtable empowers you to do your work your way. Try it today. Just head to Airtable.com Glossy to receive $50 in free credits. Now back to the episode. Yeah, what type of story then? Like what unique story stands out to you because I I think, you know, we, we hear it on our end so often. People think that they have the the unique story, but it is actually in a lot of ways the the same as the many other brands competing in their category. Um, you know, in beauty we're we're natural, but it's still luxury, like that type of thing. So how yeah, do you how yeah. do you sort through the noise and find what is actually differentiated?
1: Yeah, so I'll give you an example. So RMS Beauty was a brand we picked up a couple of years ago because Rosemary Swift, she was in the beauty industry, she had had a medical issue and you know she said wait a minute I've been working with makeup my whole life is makeup the cause of my medical issue Mm -hmm. and she decided she wanted to solve that by going to more natural formulations in in makeup and and uh, and now skincare. and so she had a unique point of view she was a makeup artist so she had a unique skill in terms of uh, really creating a new brand and she was one of the first in the natural makeup categories Mm and she entered when it was really really hard to do right so she was only able to enter with a handful of products because uh, formulating and manufacturing natural products at that point really clean natural products was almost impossible Mm -hmm. and so we like people that are first like that and she didn't have a following right people knew her from her skill set in the industry but she didn't have a national following and now you know people are coming in requesting her products because they know that she's going to produce something quality because of how much she cares Mm -hmm. and so that's a great example of some. Someone with a point of view, someone with a background and a reason to do it, uh, and someone that builds trust with the consumer, both within our environment but also on their own. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's the sort of thing that that we look for,
0: right? And this and that kind of ties into you were mentioning the founder-led story that that kind of can set it apart. Um, do you think where did that come from in, in beauty and cosmetics and skincare that? that like very personable um you have a face behind the product that seems like we see that a lot now
1: well we've had it forever right with estee lauder right she created her you know her skincare creams and her youth do which was a fragrance that she wanted to wear elizabeth arden so i i think this is part of our history where women create Brands for other women because they know best about what what they want. They were looking for something that didn't exist on the market. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think there are so many female founders and female leaders in the industry. And that continues uh, to happen. Uh, so I think right now what we're seeing is because of the size of the millennial generation and then Generation Z after them is that they're creating brands for their peer group and for their friends. And so mm-hmm. we saw the vegan and vegetarian trend many many years ago, uh, you know, one in 10 millennials is a vegan or vegetarian, that's a pretty high percentage compared to other generational segments. And so we saw this trend coming. And now it's very broad in beauty, but that's why we launched M61 as a vegan brand and uh, Luna Esther our makeup brand, as a vegan brand, because you see these trends and there are generational trends. And so you have a lot of female millennials building businesses like Emily Weiss from the Glossier. Uh, you know, you you have these, you have Marcia Kilgore back in there with Beauty Pie. You have these women building new brands for each other because they see an opportunity. Right. And and I'm sure you
0: saw the opportunity with your in-house brands. What was it like switching gears from the retail mindset to to the brand mindset? What, what, um, and how are you able to look at at the sales within the store
1: and and figure out what was going to perform? Yeah, I think for me, just like I had to start Blue Mercury because I hated the shopping the way it was. I had to launch M61, which was our first skincare brand because I saw a gap in the market that I had to fix. So that was, uh, clients were coming in asking for, um, natural skincare that, that, Worked right because mm-hmm. originally natural skincare actually didn't do much to the skin because it just the technology wasn't there. And then other clients were coming in, they loved this sort of dermatologist brands, but they were full of chemicals they didn't want in their skin. And so I had to launch M61 as a natural, powerful skincare brand uh, because there was nothing else like it. So, once again, it's gap analysis. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, there are a 100 chemicals that can't be in the brand. Uh, it was the first vegan skincare brand in our store because that was on the market. Um, so, same with Luna Nastra cosmetics you know it's you see a gap and you have to do it and it's for your customer for me it's it's for the customers it's something they wanted it's not more than that so when I create new products now for the brands I'm just paying attention to what the customers want so um, you you know what do they want what are they missing what do they need right and the customer is so
0: in charge today and how you how have you seen brands really adapt to that like how's the customer shopping experience changed where are they getting all the information And, and how as a brand like is it kind of sink or swim now for for dodging that
1: yeah i i think it The information is coming from so many different spots. Like I watch, I have Generation Z daughters, teenagers, and they they only get information from Instagram and their friends and what they're using, which I find fascinating because what's the authority of your friends? They just learn from something else, someone else. So I'm fascinated by that, which that means they're they're loyal to items and not brands right now, um, which is fascinating. So I think things are always changing in terms of how people get information and beauty and that's the part I'm watching all of the time you know my peer group I'm a little older um, uh, you know it's it's word of mouth it's still you know blogs it's Facebook live we have we do a lot of Facebook live where we're showcasing new brands and and interviewing uh, brand founders for our clients so they can touch and feel so the sources of information are so amorphous um, that uh, I think brands find what resonates with their client so you have Anastasia who has you know um, tons of Instagram followers Um, she created her brand that way you have the Kardashians which went you know they went Instagram first and then decided they were gonna create a beauty brand around what their what their consumer desired and so I I think you know people have their own media uh mechanisms that work for them you can't do it all well and so that's what i find most fascinating you've got youtube channels and and so i i think everything's micro segmented um and you have to know what works for you but you have to keep trying new things because you don't know what's going to work next
0: Mm -hmm. and who wins in this new landscape is it is it harder (laughs) or easier for For young brands, especially like it's, it's of course the barrier to entry is lower, but it's so much more crowded than it used to be. And if you are a more incumbent brand, you, you have the resources to, you know, put out all these feelers and customer things, but you might not have that emotional, uh, tie to customers. So who, who wins?
1: No, I was thinking about that the other day, because I think in the last, it's a great question. In the last 12 months, there's been an even greater proliferation and, Instagram three or four years ago was not what it is today. It's so prominent. And so I think the pace of launch of new brands is at a fever pitch. So of course the customer wins, right? Because more selection, more choice. Uh, I, I think the entrepreneur wins because... I believe that entrepreneurs win if they can try something new, even if they fail. So, you know, someone may launch a brand, they get it wrong the first time. In this country, we accept failure, so you can try something new. And at least we have someone innovating uh, and trying something new. So I think the entrepreneur wins um, also. Uh, In terms of building big businesses, I think it's harder than ever because uh, you're always going to have the next guy coming in with a new idea and low cost of entry. And so very few businesses will hear... A, a big enough scale to go global, mm-hmm. and so I think that's where uh, we'll see the change: fewer global brands and more local and national brands. Uh-huh. And I think that that's okay for now. Things are always changing, um, so so I, I think having you can adjust your cost structure to have a smaller brand. You don't have to be global anymore. Mm-hmm. So. Right. And, and I think it's it's just this
0: idea that how many more products can the market actually hold? Like, is there going to be a bubble that, that happens in this beauty space where people are just, you know, launching new products with these, these angles that they say are differentiated, but they might not actually be?
1: Well, that's the thing is... Um... People are always willing to try the latest and greatest in beauty. It's like the search for the fountain of youth. You know, everybody wants to look better and feel better, and so I think that trial will always be there. Um, What wins, though, is the hero product that is there year after year after year, and you love it. So, And there there aren't so many of those, right? Francois Nars with his Orgasm Blush franchise. Well, that's been almost 15 years, right? And so the question is, what is going to be that hero product that is there for the next 10 to 15 years? That's how you win long-term, and I think that's harder than ever. Uh, I think... um, launch and innovation goes with economic cycles. So we've had a nice, great economic cycle run. Uh, And so people are, you know, everyone's optimistic, everybody's willing to try new things. Uh, Unfortunately, when we saw the last recession I've been through too, is that's when the funding dries up for new brand launches. And unfortunately, that's when uh, people go back to what they know. So I hope it continues like this forever, because I love seeing the innovation um, and the energy around it uh, and, um, you know, seeing entrepreneurs start new brands is the best thing ever.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. And, and in on the um, topic of product innovation, where, where are you seeing brands put most of their, their money and their, their time and investment behind?
1: Like what, what are people trying to crack right now? I, I think it's such a mix. Um, I, I think, you know, Instagram has really driven the mask category, which I find fascinating because uh, it's more, it's a statement that I am taking care of myself uh, and it's a very visual statement. Did I uh, do anything? Uh, mass, a yeah. Question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're very targeted masks that help targeted things. So masks are great for um, yeah. deep cleaning your pores. Uh, masks are great for hydration. So masks are very strong. Now I know um, my daughters and their friends, they, they don't care what it does to their skin. It is all about the visual experience. Mm-hmm. And so they'll use like anti-aging masks. I'm like, you're 15, you don't need so that that it's interesting how what's influencing categories is the instagram effect and that visual because it's a huge sort of brand equity driver and so i think i i think that's driving some of what's going on in the industry and there's there's um some fun products coming out in the fall where you can paint a rainbow mask on your face so um so so interesting innovation coming that way I think we're seeing starting to see more science come into beauty again, which I always love. Uh, where people are trying to crack, you know, the SPF piece. You know, I have always said, can someone deliver a pill where you take um, for SPF? Uh, and I think people are working on that, right? I think um, teeth, teeth whitening, and toothbrushes that comes in and out of the beauty industry, coming back again. And once again, it's that visual effect. You know, people are always on, and so they want that visual, that instant visual effect. So in products, visual effect, it's really what's driving the, the industry right now. And then the wellness piece, of course. Right. That's that's
0: interesting, um, not just like the juxtaposition between the two, uh, because a supplement's not very visual, but just this idea that brands that are going to last are the ones that can find this hero product that is going to withstand an Instagram trend. So, so how do you, do you see that brands are kind of like pulled between the two? Like what's, what's going to get attention right now, especially somewhere like social media where like the, the currency is so important versus what's, you know, going to be a little bit less exciting. But if we make an incredible foundation, people are going to keep buying
1: it sure (laughs) sure so this is the key to a good brand and you're completely understanding this which is you need your hero skews which i call annuities which year after year after year they're producing for you you don't know you have it until a couple years have passed though that's the problem and then you have your marketing skews which Mm -hmm. are these are my attention grabbers these are going to you know talk about my brand but maybe a flash in the pan and mm-hmm. you see hair care brands do this all the time They launch you know you can paint your hair well they know that's not going to be a hero skew for a long time yeah. right the blue paint uh, that you can put a streak in your hair well it's not so universal but it's really fun mm-hmm. not on instagram or youtube videos and so the brands know this um and they invest in both categories but they invest at a different level the problem mm-hmm. with an annuity skew is you you never know you have you it until you invest in it right Um, so you might
0: drop something and it could have been could have been that hero
1: yeah um and sometimes you know as in um every category the best product doesn't always win Mm -hmm. because if people don't know about it Mm -hmm. you you don't win so you know great annuity skew year after year after year is um creme de la mer. it's amazing Mm -hmm. how everybody knows about it Mm -hmm. um and they know that if you burn yourself, or if you have irritated skin, this is the healing product for you in the industry, all ages. So, great example of an annuity skew.
0: right? And so, as a retailer who's who has insight across all these categories and across the brands, do you feed what type of information from your customer are you feeding back to your brand partners, um, especially on the on the younger brand side? Like, do you almost feel a responsibility to to help guide them, um, or is it more just what the customer wants at the end of the day
1: yeah i mean i'm always uh talking to our brands and telling them sort of where to go next because it benefits us and it's i i feel i feel certain duty to the to the customer since i've been in the industry for 19 years i will meet with brands where i know more about their brand than they do because i've been in the industry so long um so of course i like to guide them on where to go next but given the context of what their brand is so for example supergoop great example sun care brand i love we picked up in the last year we're working with them on developing a lip product that's a co-design so we'll go to the extent of co-designing products together where we see gaps in the market so we're always feeding information back to them Um, but it's such a fluid industry now they have way more information than, than they had before so the question isn't do you have information? It's how do you choose which information to use, and I think that's everyone's biggest challenge today. I mean, even on a daily basis, how much media do you have coming at you? You have to figure out, you know, what to listen to and what not to listen to, uh, and I think that's the hardest thing: is decision making with so much information, as opposed to in the past, is getting the information. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and going off of that, and, and just to wrap up, I think we're almost out of time. But if as you're looking at the beauty landscape, um, what do you see as the biggest challenge for both new and existing brands is it the instagram effect and how much pull that has is it amazon and how they're digging more into beauty um and and just like the diversified retail industry or is it just like plain old product innovation and and deciding what to invest in on that front
1: i think sometimes what people forget is you have to focus on a client niche and -hmm. know everything about that niche Mm -hmm. and so I think there's a tendency to say well how do I use Amazon or how do I use Instagram or what do I do but I come back to the old-fashioned know your customer and serve your customer and I think that's sometimes forgotten that people want all customers everywhere and that's pretty impossible and so the most successful brands the most successful entrepreneurs Start with a customer that they want to serve. Start with a problem that they want to solve. And uh, have this burning desire to to serve. And that's how you win. Mm -hmm. And then you can expand from there.
0: Right. And kind of to your point earlier, be a little bit okay with being small on the smaller side and not being a global empire?
1: Yeah, I I think we have these big dreams because we hear about these hugely successful entrepreneurs. But it's just everything is step by step. When we started the business, it was lipstick by lipstick, store by store, Mm -hmm. eye cream by eye cream. And so I think as with any big dream you have, you actually start step by step and then you can get there.
0: Right. And are our customers still loyal today to any particular brand?
1: i think they're loyal to items uh i i I think brand loyalty is a little bit lower than it used to be um because the way media is set up it's for SKUs. e-commerce is by item right instagram how many items can you have in a picture and so i i think there's a loyalty to items and not so much to brands anymore right like
0: you're probably not going to buy the entire set of a skincare collection anymore
1: nobody ever did uh but they were willing to try if they loved this brand, they were willing to try the next skew in that brand no matter what it was. But now I think I would argue and I don't have the data I only have the internal data, I don't have data in the industry, is that there's more concentration of purchase in the best items in the in the beauty industry and then a long tail of a lot of trial of new things. And so I think that that changes sort of you know, that means there will be fewer big companies and big winners in the long term and, and lots of micro opportunities. Right. Well, that's a good place for you guys to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a good place for us to stop. Well, thank you so much, Marla, for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Great. And thank you for joining us. A special thanks to Aditi Songle, the producer of this podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. And in the meantime, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Anchor FM and leave us any feedback you have.